This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 44. Today on our show, Wayne Boxmiller. So Ice Cube and I walked around the corner of the Super X, and we were talking. And I tell people this story that he was so focused back then that anything he does now, I'm not even surprised. Wayne had some great stories. There's that one about Ice Cube we just teased you with there, but he had tons and tons more, uh, including stories about Eric Davis and David Fulcher and and all kinds of folks. Uh, Be sure to listen for the promo code at the end of the episode. As always, you can use that to save 20% on your next Cincy Shirts or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Now let's talk to Wayne Boxmiller. Cincinnati, Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. FC Cincinnati selling well for you guys. That's that a hot property, man. God, it's a, I'm that glad Vince Cincero's with them. That's a good addition. Who's that? Vince Cicero. He used to be in the Bengals broadcast marketing manager. Then he went and took over the entire uh, ATP at Kings Island. He was like the COO. He left there and went to Florida to do the circus and Iron Man. Like he had a big opportunity. But now he's coming back. Well, he's back now. He is now in charge of all the broadcast rights and partnerships. FC Cincinnati. Okay. So, which is good for you guys in the sense that maybe on some of the TV broadcasts, they could do a feature on, you know, the relationship that you guys have, which is unique. Yeah. To have the licensing rights and not be a behemoth like Dick Sporting Goods or something. Yeah. They've been a good partner, that's for sure. They went to bat for us a few times. Um, Yeah, because, I mean, we, we, uh, we approached them before their first game. Um. You know, we're just like, hey, we believe in what you guys are doing and think this yeah. is going to be big. And they're just kind of like, I went really? to the first game. I'm not a soccer fan, man. I've tried. I've tried to get into yeah. it. I just can't. I, Even after you went to a game? I went to their first game because Mario Ciccinelli was working for them at that time. And I went, you know, and it was, I mean, the excitement and stuff, but just the game for me. just Yeah, it was nonstop. The yeah. soccer yeah, coach at Moorhead tried to get goals. me to quit basketball and go play soccer. Because I took a soccer course, and then you know, I was out there just running up and down and, you know, killing. He says, you need to quit basketball, come play soccer. I'm like, man, I'm not playing soccer, man. I'm just coming for a grade. Give me a grade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basketball. So the class? You can take soccer as a class? Mm-hmm. Introduction to soccer, yeah. This what was kind of, this is back in BS. This is back credit. in 1973 <laughs> when soccer soccer wasn't even on the radar in the United States. I took billiards for uh, athletic credit in at Bowling Green. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Oh. You could take bowling. Moorhead yeah. had their own bowling alley. But think about it. 73 soccer. Like yeah. That was like you needed to introduce somebody to soccer. Yep. 
I was going to say, probably Where'd some non-profit. Uh, I grew up in Avondale. I was born in Maysville, Kentucky. Oh, okay. But I moved here. We moved here when I was in like the fourth grade. Okay. So I grew up on Rockdale and Burnett, right? Yeah. In the heart of everything. I grew up in St. Bernard. Yeah. So the 67 riots, uh, that I said our apartment building was on fire during that time. So I was right, you know, right when the National Guard were coming up and down Burnett Avenue. That's right where I live. It was like crazy. How do I not know about this? I don't I didn't know that happened. You're privileged, man. You know, you just... <laughs> I know a tiny bit. I'm, you, I'm not you, from here. I you just, grew up... and See, you were able to just walk the chilly time where I had to get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it, though, Chili right? time, man. Oh, my God, man. I remember going to chilly time in uh, Roseline. And, yeah. Uh, the Big Time yep. Burger. Yep. <sighs> Nothing That's sucked so up grease more than the Big Time Burger, <laughs> man. I, I, I try to sell people on chilly time. It's just like a... The burger. Big boy. I mean, yeah, it, was just, yeah. it was just a good. There wasn't like chili on the burger or anything crazy. You could get it if you wanted, but the burger <laughs> itself was good. I'm just telling yeah, you. Yeah, so they had the yeah. double decker like the big boy, but then the big time was like, I don't know how big that that patty was. That was like a, somebody just like <laughs> threw it on the grill, man. And all of a sudden they start they selling. Just take it. the one pound of meat out yeah. from the grocery store. And just... <laughs> yeah, right. Just take the wrap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Packaged. Oh man, so so how'd you end up in Moorhead from Avondale? Where did you go to high school? Well, I yeah, we yeah. moved uh, we a, we moved from uh, uh, my parents bought their first house in Kennedy Heights, so we moved in the tenth, coming out of the ninth in the tenth grade to Kennedy Heights. But I had played basketball, uh, didn't make the team, you know, because oh you're too short, you're good, but you're too short, and I'm like, man, I'm better than half the guys on this team. And ironically, I lived down the street from Derek Dickey. So that's when I oh, first nice. met Derek Dickey. And the summer before I left to go to summer school at Moorhead, Derek and I, we work out a little bit together. But I always played ball. And he's like, man, hey, just go for it. He was one of those guys that really gave me the confidence. So they had walk-ons at Moorhead. And I went down there, man. It seemed like everything just fell in place. I mean, I, think, I don't think I missed a shot. I stole a couple of balls from somebody coming up the court. I mean, it was just Where did you go justice. to high school? Woodward. Woodward. Yeah, and we always had good basketball teams, but still, you know, I, I mean, a couple of those guys, I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a little chip on your shoulder trying always, to man. have something to prove. Always. That's, you know, it's usually... Napoleon complex when you my height, man, you know. <laughs> Of course, then I weighed like a buck, what, a buck 35. I don't think I ever weighed 135. <laughs> <laughs> I think I went from like 95 or like 80. He was like morphed into like the new weight, you know. So you found chili time. That's right. Right. <laughs> yeah, when you're two blocks from chili time. Oh, my God, man. Shoot. I, I still, I've gone over there a couple of times. I've taken people over there and like for breakfast because it's yeah. so cheap. Yeah. It's like you can get bacon, eggs, and you know, home fries or hash browns and yeah. whatever might cost you like six dollars or something. Yeah. You know? It's like how can you not enjoy a meal for six, seven bucks? PF you ever been to Chili Town? No, back at, my wife worked over in that side of town. We're once gonna have a week. to take uh we're gonna have to take a field trip over there. Yeah. I was taking yeah. there and there. Yeah. yeah. Have, you been, have you been to Sugar and Spice? Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah. You guys been to Sugar and Spice? I don't think so. Oh, man. you gotta be kidding me. What's sugar and spice? Man, are you serious? Uh-oh. Sugar and Spice uh-uh. is right near the corner of Reading Road in Tennessee. And uh, 
Okay. They I they only right they're only is. open. From, oh wait, I know where you're at the kind of at the bottom of the where the Avonfield's driving range is. Yeah, like yeah, right yeah next exactly. To it. They yeah, they're open yeah. from seven to three. You can only get breakfast always, and lunch. I, I, that's the thing. It's funny you say this, uh, and I want you to finish, but. Because it's not open that long. Exactly. Every time I've ever driven by it, it's I was like, that, there used to be a restaurant there, but it's still around. They've got the best pancakes of anybody. Like they're like so thin, you could eat three of them, and you feel like you just haven't been like a pig. But their omelets—they whip the eggs. Their omelets look about this big. Yeah. I mean, now you talking about going somewhere? It's like the melting pot of Cincinnati. All kid, like if you go on a Saturday, you yeah. would see anybody in there from Ken Blackwell to the car wash guy, from Skip Prosser to uh, somebody that works at you know yeah. Sewer District. I mean, it's yeah. just, everybody, <laughs> everybody knows about knows Sugar about and Spice because the breakfasts were legendary. I mean, that's so funny. Yeah, I remember it's driving like by there. Yeah, seven all to three. The they close yeah. at three o'clock. Like after that, it's done. They're they're <laughs> gone. They tried to stay open for dinner for about. Maybe four or five months, and it was like, nah, man, nobody's. Isn't that fun though to just have little places like that that just become a, a happening spot yeah. that aren't, you know? Well, a great place is if you own it. You know what time you're getting off every day. Like if I own that, I know at three o'clock I'm done. Yeah. Where you go, to these other places, you get there at seven, you prep the food, you got breakfast, lunch, dinner, then you got to break everything down, and you turn around and you're right back in there. Yeah. Well, at three o'clock. You shutting that thing down, and because it's breakfast and lunch, you're pretty much winding down as you serve. Yeah. Hell, you're probably out of there by four o'clock. Yeah, it's a nice. Yeah. I can't imagine what that's like either. But then you're so <laughs> tired because you've been up since three in the morning <laughs> prepping. <laughs> that's just a rough business for yeah. you. Gotta love, you gotta love what you do, man. For so sure. you go to Moorhead. How'd you pick Moorhead from basketball? Just basketball? My cousin played there, so I figured if he could play down there, I could play. Of course, he was better than me, so I was lying to myself. But it still, I mean, it sounded good. And did you play your whole time there? No, just my freshman year. Yeah, yeah. And what did you? What were you studying? Were you? Were you in actually? English I was an art major. Really? I went to school as an art major. So we should be doing this on the podcast, or are we? We are. Yeah, we've yeah, been. No introduction. You just almost said a cuss word. You can say whatever you want. Oh no, because my my sister hears this, and she'll be like, "But no, actually, I went down. I was an art major." I, I took one art class, and the teacher was into con, uh, destructive, not constructive criticism. So I just, I was like, dude, later that. Art, yeah. he, he has an art degree. Yeah, you got to have that thick skin. Well, you know what? And I'll admit, I didn't have it then. So I had run, I had won a commercial writing contest in high school at Woodward for DECA, Distributive Education Clubs of America. So I said, well... Hell, I, I won a commercial writing contest. So I'll just go major in communications. That's kind of how I got in the whole business. Really? Yeah. And huh. did you know when you were became a communication major, like what you wanted to do? Uh, yeah, that's such kinda. a broad, uh, you know. Well, study you know what? I, I kind of wanted so to do radio. And before I forget, man, that's nice how you let people just talk because then they don't tense up when you say, now on the radio, yeah. uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, and then you go, <gasps> yeah. and they throw the Walter Cronkite voice on you. Oh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Like, thank you for being here. Uh, no, I, uh, I knew I wanted to do radio. I liked radio. Uh, when I grew up in Avondale, WCIM was the only black station. 
but it's got Everett Cork uh, passed last year, like really a mentor in a lot of ways. Frank Bailey, Virgil Nixon, Jimmy Wonder, the Ball of Thunder. And then I listened to Dayton Radio Station, WDAO. And this guy, I used to run home and listen to this guy named Ragman. He called himself J.R. Triple P, your party platter pusher. And I would get home, and I'm like, man, these guys are like the coolest ever. But So radio's where I started, but then when I got to Moorhead, they had their own TV station, 50,000-watt radio station. We did a newscast. We did sports, like, on TV. Yeah. So I got exposed to a lot of stuff, and then I was like, man, this this whole industry is, like, cool. And uh, it's funny you asked that. I got a call from a... A college classmate, Percy Metcalf, he was coming through Cincinnati uh, Sunday, and he listened to the Bengals pregame show, and he's like, man, I heard you, and like, it reminded me of you being back at school, man. You used to prepare and type all your notes. I was like, I did? <laughs> I never thought I, well, I never thought I did it then. I definitely do it now, but I'm like, did I type, and was I prepared back in college? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I sure was. But now, so I, I kind of bounced around. Uh, I was a banker for a while. A lot of people don't know that. And I still just wanted to be in the business. I had always wanted to be in the business. And my first kind of move toward that was I got a, I was in, in the banking business at Provident Bank. And a guy comes in on a Saturday, I'll never forget this, and he's uh, asking me about IRAs because Provident at that time had two IRAs. Everybody else had one, and the guy says, well, why do you guys have two and everybody else has one? And I'm like, well, here's the reason. And so I was explaining it, and uh, he says, you, you're pretty knowledgeable. I said, well, yeah, why are you going to be somewhere and you don't know what you're talking about? And he says, you like your job? I said, no, of course. <laughs> you know, little did I know how corporate America works. It could have been like a test. But I was like, no, I don't like my job. He says, well, would you be interested in talking? I said, I think we could use a guy like you. And he was with New York Times. And so I ended up getting a job with New York Times in their marketing division, retail marketing. And Here? It, yeah, here in Cincinnati. Wow. And it excited me because... I worked in a retail group, which meant I had a territory from northern Kentucky to north of Dayton, but I interfaced with all the retail account, accounts, Kroger, Thriftway, IGA, Super X, remember Super X? Of course. Uh, Rite Aid. And so they owned uh, Family Circle Magazine, Family Circle Great Ideas, Tennis Magazine, Golf Digest. And so we went in and created cross-marketing opportunities uh, merchandising, point of sale displays, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that was a great, great experience because they flew us to Hilton Head. I didn't golf then. Yeah. And I laughed Some at those guys. Some say you don't golf now. Well, yeah, it's a great, <laughs> they're telling the truth. <laughs> but, but I was like, why are these guys going golf and wasting their day? I was playing tennis then. And now that I golf and I'm thinking I could have played Harbor View for free. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, it was a great company. And then, I transitioned from there, and then I got into more true media with CIN and then the uh, Cincinnati Enquirer. So you got to work for CIN? Yeah. I, I had a show that came on at night, and back then, the great thing about radio, you could bring your own music, and there really wasn't a true form. Like today, if you play one record that isn't in their format, you, you could get written up. But back then, I brought my crates. Remember crates? Young people don't know this. You have these things called crates. And I bring them in. And so I came on at like 11 o'clock to like, I think, 2 in the morning. So I called it the midnight happy hour. With Champagne Wayne, that was Champagne my Wayne. <laughs> so, so that was my that was my vibe. But it was just like the greatest out of everything I've ever done in my life. 
that was probably the coolest experience in terms of age to employment ratio. Like, yeah. dude, I'm sitting here playing these slow jams and setting this mood and, you know, young ladies are calling in requesting. <laughs> the only thing I regret is I didn't have the uh, James Earl Jones voice. You know, <laughs> if I had that, I'd probably yeah. still be on radio. But, yeah, anyway. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, but it, I mean, that's a cool gig. But it had to be even cooler, if, like the station that kind of got you into yes. the, the, you know, to work for. Man, that's like walking hallowed halls, right? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if, like Brian Kelly got the job at Notre Dame. He said it was his dream job. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine him walking in the locker room the first time. Like, yeah, man. So yeah, for me to go in that back door, so you know, you always went in the front door because that's <laughs> where everybody went. Yeah. But the DJs, the key went to in, the building. Yeah, they yeah. went in the back door, man. When I first walked in there with my crates, and I walked in the back door, and I was like, man, I'm about to go on the air on WCIN, man. That, yeah, that was magical, man. I'll always remember that. That was whatever happened to that station. Well. um Ownership changes, and then the industry, as so many things happen in this business, the industry changes. And I think that it just got lost in the shuffle. I mean, FM came. I think the first hit they took was when WBLZ came. That was 103.5. And they came in, and they were playing the same music but on FM. So you remember the emergence of FM wiped out a lot of good AM stations because I can listen to Cameo and Confunction and AM. And hear six of the 12 band members, or I could listen in FM and hear all 12 band members. What are you going to do? You yeah. got to take FM. So, yeah. I mean, they then they moved to more of a talk, community focused kind of thing, which I think they found their niche. But then Ross Love and that group opened, you know, the buzz, came in with the buzz, and then that kind of started the demise or them. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid and, and in high school, like, the Wiz was like the only, yeah. like urban, you know, I guess you could say black radio station. Yeah. Like that was just that was the only. I mean, I listened to it all the time because that was the only place I could hear hip hop and R and B, which was what I was super into. Well, I was I was the second person hired there, the first promotions director there, sold the first piece of advertising there. We were at one hundred Commonwealth Avenue in Erlanger, Kentucky. In a house next to a church is where that station started. Wow, the Wiz. Yes, I didn't know that. Yeah, we. I always remembered it being at was it Swift, Swift and Commons. Yeah. So, uh, so when the station first started, the company that they bought it from was a religious station and group. <laughs> it was a house next to a church. It's just funny to think about all the music I used yeah. to hear. Right yeah. <laughs> now you're, you're asking the father for forgiveness. <laughs> but I don't see but it was um, it was the it was this really interesting because it was a when I say a house, it was a house. You walked in the front door, and to the left where the living room would be was the receptions desk and then a little sales office and you walk in the back where the kitchen and the living room and stuff was and they built a studio back there so we were at that location for a couple of years before finally moving so if you remember when they did the caller i mean the uh id station id it said you know 100 Erlanger, cincinnati that's right yep. i do remember yep. that and that's why because the license was actually in Erlanger. wow so what year would this have been that it started Hmm. What year did this start? I'm saying 1986, somewhere in that area. Wow. 
you know, I'm I'm I don't have the exact date, but yeah. it's right right around the middle eighties. Yeah, early nineties is when I remembered. And it was funny because when the artists would come to town and come to the station, it was funny, <laughs> yeah. like because the they were just like walking around, like, <laughs> and the studio was more like a rectangle. So if you got two people in there standing next to each other, nobody else could get in or out. Because that was the width of the, you know, uh, yeah. This this is bigger than the studio that we were in, right where we are now. <laughs> so, is there like a big pressure to succeed? As far as I mean, did you guys have funding for years that you knew you were kind of safe, or was it like you had to get get out, pound the streets, sell those ads, bring in the money? Yeah, we uh, we had to get cracking because we're like a startup. I mean, you're we're a startup. startup. You know, like any other startup, you know, you got an infusion yeah. of cash and capital, but it's only going to last you so long. The strategy that they employed, which was an old radio strategy, they went commercial free for like two weeks, maybe. I, I could be wrong, but we we came in and we were commercial free to just create this buzz and excitement, like. Who's this new player in town? And WBLZ finally felt threatened because when they were on top beating on WCIN, they were the, you know, the big behemoth. And then we came in, we're FM, we're cranking the R&B, we're not even going to commercial. And the buzz is on the street, you know, in the urban community, like the streets were hot, man. Like, man, you heard this new station, they don't even play commercials. And we were like playing album cuts. As well as like the the, the singles. singles, yeah. Oh, we would be like the UPS guy would come. I'll tell you a story. Jay Dubar was a program director. Jeff Mitchell's the APD. I was a promotions director. He brings in, you know, they used to send all the music on the uh, packages on the UPS truck, and we flip, we tear them open, throw this on. Now, now, oh, that's pretty good. Oh, that's not bad. Oh man. Fire. Go get everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and it was Kumo D Wild Wild West. Yes. And we first heard that literally we went in the studio and said, after this record, put this on. Like that. And the phone oh, lines no, went. Worse. The phone lines went berserk. That was the fun part of radio. Oh, yeah. Well, you so could great. just I mean, so we would be out there waiting on the UPS truck, like, okay, what's what's on the truck? What's on the yeah, truck? Yeah, I remember going to uh Record theater in Norwood, yeah, at record yeah. store, and that's that was like the only memory that I, the only place I ever went to where you might you might hear something that you that wasn't on the radio right, because right. the people in the store were the ones who were in charge of what was playing in the store, and we would have them call us sometime and they'd say, "Would you guys let us know?" what you're playing because people are coming here Globe remember Globe Records yeah people would say say people are coming here asking for records and we don't have any idea what they're talking about because we I I mean you'd hear something and it's like almost like this little ad hoc committee like man hear this third cut on the other side man damn that's banging you know put that on like go put it on now you know that kind of stuff that's so cool uh that Cool Mo D album was like one of my oh, favorites. My, my buddies and I ran that tape out. <laughs> that was good stuff. That was real radio. Yeah. So you're at the Wiz for how long? I was at the Wiz for like eight years. And we moved to uh, Swift and Commons. Finally got our own place and was able to be in the neighborhood where we were catering to. Yeah. A lot of great stuff happened there, man. I mean, I remember my... One of the memorable moments was when uh, NWA came to Cincinnati. 
And if you remember the movie uh, Straight Outta Compton, oh, there's yeah. a scene where they were in Cincinnati. Yeah. So Ice Cube and I walked around the corner of the Super X, and we were talking. And I tell people this story that he was so focused back then that anything he does now, I'm not even surprised. Because I was saying to him, I was like, man, you know, these cops, they're out to get you guys. He said, oh, we know. He said, and that's exactly what we want. You know, like basically saying, like, we know this is going to be good for us publicity-wise. But he says, we're not worried about that. And, I mean, he was just as down-to-earth, very aware of of what was going on. I mean, people like that. And then we started something called Fresh Friday in Full Effect, which was we were giving away stuff every Friday. So it's a funny story. The program director, Marv Hankston, had all this music. You know, back then they'd send you a cassette, an album, the CD, and so you got just junk. And Marv's like, man, I'm throwing all this stuff away. And I'm like, man, let's find something to do with it. Let's, like, make it purposeful. I'm the promotions director. I'm a promotions director. How can we promote this? And I said, why don't we just do something, like, on Friday and just tell people come by and get stuff? And we brainstorm. And then we're like, okay, let's call it Fresh Friday in full effect. Come up at 3 o'clock. Everybody gets something. They thought we were, like, giving stuff away because we just wanted to. You know, I can say it now. You were being We nice. were cleaning out the closet. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but. One unbe- man's trash. Yeah, another man's trash. Unbeknownst to us, by 245. There were lines both ways at Swift and Commons. You didn't have enough? And we were like, no, we had enough, but oh. we were blown away at the response. So being a promotions director, I'm like, sponsorship? So I go outside. There was no iPhone then. You had to use like a camera. And I, I literally laid on the ground because I wanted that shot of, of the corn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we ended up getting Orange Crush to sponsor Fresh Friday and give us a brand new car to give away. We gave away a Dodge wow. Daytona. We did all these point of sale appearances at the IGA that partnered with us. So we'd sample Orange Crush at all these grocery accounts. You could register for the car, blah, blah, blah. And then the final culmination was everybody came back to Swift and Commons and we picked, I think, 10 finalists. Right. And we gave each one of them reached in and got a key, but only one key unlocked the door. And this girl, she had the key that unlocked the door and she won the brand new Dodge Daytona. But something that was just a conversation to clear out the closet ended up being one of our biggest revenue generators. That sounds like five dollar mystery team. <laughs> you know, which I'm gonna give. I just saw that I'm getting one. Of, I'm getting one or two or three of those. I was like, my wife loves it. Yeah. Yeah. You ever get stuff like when for the stuff you were giving away? Because I used to work in radio, and we would get stuff from like two formats ago. We were an alternative rock station. We would get the oldies stuff. And country and gospel stuff would be sent to us. So we had a big stack of stuff that we would never play in a million yeah. years. Is that kind of stuff you were getting to? No, we because R&B, so in, in urban music, you know, you, you're almost three genres in one anyway, right? So if you're a black station, you got R&B as your, your primary. There's a little bit of jazz spilled over because there's no jazz station. And then hip-hop was slowly merging into the R&B category. Ultimately, now it's taken over. So we were getting all three pieces of, of music to sample. So we just had it by default. I mean, man, I mean, we had so much stuff. I remember we did a, a Super Bowl promo. And I never forget, we ended up doing a promo where we were giving away uh, 
a package for people to go to Super Bowl when the Bengals played the 49ers the second time. So as a promotions director, they gave me one. So I called my dad. I'm like, hey, man, we're going to Super Bowl because he loved the Bengals. I mean, he was like, like, the day the Bengals came, he said goodbye to the Browns like that day. And uh, he says, really? I said, yeah, I got the tickets. You know, everything's paid for. The hotel's paid for. How are we getting there? I said, we're flying. Well, I'm not going. My father wouldn't fly. He's an old school guy. He said, man, what's meant to fly to have wings? I said, it's the Super Bowl. I don't care. I'm not going on no plane. And so I ended up giving this ticket to somebody else. But my father you wouldn't go, go without him? Well, I did. I just wanted him oh, to go. Oh, I see what you're saying. You gave the ticket yeah. to somebody else. Because I wanted him to go because <laughs> my dad was at the time permanently disabled. So, you know, driving in the car for him would have been crazy. Oh, Miami? Yeah. <laughs> but he's one of those old school guys. He'd have probably toughed it out more than me, hmm. you know. Of course, he had a Kentucky Tavern bottle, but that would have probably helped. He's a Kentucky guy. I mean, you grow up in Kentucky. You, yeah. You smoke and you drink. That's what you do. Yeah. What was the Super Bowl like? Uh, up until the end? I mean, up until... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what, man? I, I, I tell you, sports has afforded me some great experiences. Yeah. To be in the Super Bowl, uh, in the stadium, to feel that energy and just to know where you are, to be in the moment, right? Like, I'm in this moment. I, I made a little NBC towel with gold bingles or whatever on it. And, and the day before, of course, I knew a lot of the guys and talking to them and, and just the whole energy and atmosphere of the Super Bowl is unlike anything you'll ever experience. And just to, to have that moment, man, it's like when I watch Super Bowls now, I, I feel a little different because I can understand how people – feel yeah. being there, especially that moment just when they get ready to kick off, like, man, this is like, this is it. Yeah. You know, as the kids say, it's going down. You the know whole I mean? world's watching. The whole the world is watching. Yeah, man. I mean, everything. And um, I remember going to the World Series uh, when I was working with Eric Davis and doing the sports marketing thing. Eric got the Jackie Robinson Award for uh, community service and humanitarianism. We were in Cleveland and to walk on the baseball fields for the World Series game, and they gave us World Series jackets. That was cool. I mean, as a fan, you know, you forget all that. Oh, yeah, no big deal. I'm not, oh, hell, yeah, that was a big deal. <laughs> like, I'm actually, like, I wanted to kick some dirt or something, just, yeah. you know. But to be out on the field, man, was just incredible, you know, incredible. So... How did you transition from the music side of communications into, like, the sports side? You know, actually, uh, there's a guy named Fritz Valentine uh, who passed a while back. Uh, he got in touch with David Fulter some kind of way, and we did the first kind of radio show with, a, with an athlete. Sold a sponsorship, and... That's when I realized that there was this opportunity that nobody was really doing marketing with athletes in this in Cincinnati. I had already planned on leaving to start my own business, promotions or marketing business. So when I left, I talked to Fulcher and I said, hey, man, you know, I'd like to work with you. I think we can create some things. Dave was like, hey, let's do it. And then after that, I started working with Solomon Wilcots and Eric Thomas and it just David Fulcher is the one that got me connected with Eric Davis. So um, we were down at Channel 5's old station down on Ninth uh, Street, and they were shooting a thing for Needy's Kids of All the Roof Lions Christmas Fund. And 
Eric gets on the elevator with his cousin Rennie, and I'm on the elevator with Fulcher. Well, those guys knew each other from South Central, and they started talking, and uh, I said to Rennie, Eric's cousin, I said, hey, man, if I can ever help you on the marketing side, you know, I'm pretty connected here. Let's work together. To his credit, he said, hey, man, I definitely would love to have your, uh, you know, collaboration. And so then we started working together, and then from there it just kind of, you know, evolved because working with Eric taught me so much. Number one, he's the most polished professional when it comes to working with, you know, marketing things. Eric is just his mind beyond baseball was incredible. And he got a lot of bad rap in Cincinnati uh, because the people who were working with him before us were turning deals down unbeknownst to him. So Eric's thinking the city doesn't want to do any endorsements with him. The city has this impression that Eric is asking for too much, and it was somebody that was the buffer that was creating that. And Eric was really perturbed and said, hey, you know, like, man, I know I have to prove myself first. I'll take a small little stipend to do a commercial to show what I can do. Then we'll come back and negotiate. Right. So we started working with him, and then Provident Bank stepped up, and we did the Eric's Outfielders Club, and um, Eric had some other endorsements that he uh, had made some inroads on that we were able to bring to the finish line. And, I mean, next thing you know, we're doing stuff with New Era. We're down Thank in you. shooting commercials. Yeah, we. I remember when Eric and Daryl Strawberry and Bo did the uh, Bo Nose commercials. We were out in California shooting those. That was cool. And then Spike Lee shot one with Eric for New Era. And we did that down in Disney. What was it? Disney World Land? Whichever one's in Orlando. World. World. And uh, watching Spike Lee work is something I'll never forget, man. Most intense guy. I mean, How when he's cool working. Yeah, it yeah. was it was ultimately cool because it was intense. And Eric and I and a guy named Ralph Wiley, I don't know if you remember him. He worked for Sports Illustrated. For, he was probably the first black full-time journalist for Sports Illustrated. And the three of us rode up there. Eric shoots this commercial, but Ralph was working on Eric's book, Born to Play. So he's the author of that book. Well, we leave going back to uh, Jupiter, Florida, because that's where the Cardinals were then. And we wake up the next day, and that's when that tornado had touched down, or hurricane touched down in uh, Orlando. We had just got out of there and didn't even realize what was happening, man. And, I mean, it was one of those trips where we literally laughed the whole way back. I mean, because Eric is comical. I mean, like Dave Parker, Eric Davis, these guys are like full-fledged comedians. Yeah. I mean, Dave, Dave Parker, Parker could have been a full-time comedian. Yeah, for sure. Easily. But, yeah, so I, that's how I got into it. And then from there, I was working with Jeff Blake. Um, we did the whole Shake and Blake <laughs> Shake campaign. And Blake. Yeah, man. And that was the first time that I had learned how to get around the licensing thing. Right, the so Blake, the pickings, yeah. yeah. So we, uh, you know, you take the stripes off the helmet and and all that stuff. But um, yeah, you understand? <laughs> no idea what you're yeah, talking yeah. about. Nobody <laughs> ever does that. I mean, it's just uh, it's just an accidental. But but up. the funny thing was, all of that work that I did with those guys and the credibility that I built up with them is how I ended up with Deion Sanders. So I see. I don't know about Deion Sanders. Yeah. I didn't know you worked with him. I worked with Deion the whole time he now. was here. Um, so when when I found out that Deion was coming to the Reds, I called the Reds, found out who his agent was, Eugene Parker, uh, who's no longer with us, just a class guy. But I called Eric and I said I knew that Deion looked up to Eric. That that I already knew. Really? Yeah. Oh, 
Man, those guys admired Eric Davis. I mean, I can tell you Michael Jordan. I've been in Detroit Piston locker room. We walked in and Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars just like, oh, man, Eric Davis, man. And then Isaiah Thomas does like this. Yeah, dude. He's doing the Eric Davis thing, you know. (laughs) And found out Joe Dumars was a big baseball fan. So it was really cool because I'm sitting there watching this stuff. Like, it used to trip me out how people would react to Eric because we were in Chicago going to an autograph session and Eric had told me he knew Magic Johnson, and I kind of like, okay, yeah, you know him, but what does that mean? Like on a scale of one to ten, is it like four? Yeah. And he's like, no, man, Buck's my boy, you know, like that, right? So we're, <laughs> we're going through the the mall or convention thing, and Eric said, oh, that's Magic over there. He said, Buck, what's up? Boogie, boogie. That's what he coming to. Yeah. Boogie. He stopped signing. People are in line. He stopped signing, gets up, comes over to Eric, and I'm sitting there like going, is this like really happening? <laughs> and he's just like all over, like, hey, what's up, man? What are you doing here? Da 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 da. He's like, hey, it's my guy, Wayne Box Miller. He does my mark. Hey, what's up, man? Like, no, no. I was like, uh, hey, you know. But I just, and then I come to realize it's just the respect they had for him off the field is what created Eric's aura. I mean, you knew what he could do on the field. Yeah. But the respect that players have for him off the field is what endeared so many younger guys to him. Yeah, it's funny because he's like, you know, there's there's only a handful, but he's one of them where you just think in a different era, like if you had an Eric Davis type player now, oh. like he'd be global superstar. Oh. He was just so polarizing. You know what I mean? Like, Well, he'd be, first of all, he'd still have longevity because there were no padded walls when he played. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't playing on AstroTurf. He wasn't playing on AstroTurf. I mean, you think about the walls he ran into, the home runs he robbed of people. I mean, the way he slid, he ran, he was aggressive, he gave it his all. And power. Like and for, power. I mean, just, yeah, you know, for, yeah, for how small, you know, I'd say that with quotes, you know. Sure, but, sure. Uh, for his size, the, the power he had, his hands were so fast. I always I said, Eric, how do, you, how do you hit the ball so hard? I mean, because, you know, obviously you look at him and think, you're not built like a power guy. And he said, hey, I'm just trying to have a train wreck with the batting ball. That's all he used to say is, like, he wants to have a train wreck. I'm like, well, the train is wrecked. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, but so he, I told him Dion was coming. I said, hey, man, you know, I'm going to get in touch with his agent. And if you could, you know, just kind of verify, you know, who I am. He said, man, absolutely. Again, that's, that's Eric. Eric had no problem trying to help people get up and along. So I went down to the Western Hotel. I knew where Dion was staying. I go to my guy Jack. Jack's the valet guy. The Weston's been there forever. So you're stalking him at this point. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I paid him. I'm not ashamed to say it. So I, I gave him like twenty dollars, and I said, when Dion and his agent walk out, give this packet to his agent, not to Dion, because see, a lot of people were giving stuff to Dion. I gave it to the agent because the agent's the one that's going to look through the papers. So I put a nice package portfolio together, work I did things of that nature, and then I put Eric Davis down as a reference when they called Eric. Oh, nice. And so when they called Eric, Eric calls me and said, hey, man, they just called me, so, you know. You should be hearing from him. And I did. And Dion was, one thing about Dion and Eric Davis that I always, always liked and loved is they did so much stuff that they never wanted anybody to know with kids. And so much so that they would threaten people that if they called the media that they would leave. 
Eric and I were downtown on Bank Street one day, and the kids were playing baseball. Eric says, hey, man, let's pull the car over. And we get out, and he's just watching them play ball, man. And, you know, he's talking to them, interacting with them. Like, Eric Davis, you know, and he's, and, and uh, they're like people just going crazy. But he stayed there, signed everything, talked to the kids. I mean, just that was him. I mean, that's him still to this day. And Dion was the same way. We were, we were leaving downtown. He said, man, where can we go hang out with some kids? I said, we can go to Over the Rhine Rec Center. We walk in, you know, the adults are going crazy. I mean, this is prime time. Yeah, this is prime. Yeah. And, he, and, and that was prime time. Yeah. Prime time, right? Yeah. And he said, hey, man, I'm here to be with the kids. Do not call the media or I'm leaving. He said, I want to, I want to be alone with them. And we went down, and he played ping pong and shuffle, uh, the air hockey thing, and sat and talked with them. And we stayed down there, man, and these kids were just obviously beside themselves. And we got finished, and we got up and left. And those two guys did that so many times, but their whole thing was don't tell anybody. Because they didn't want that time interrupted with the kids. Because media would come in and yeah. stick cameras everywhere. Yeah. And they wanted the kids to have their full attention, man. It's just incredible. Yeah, I love to hear stuff like that. You know, he was like one of my favorite players of all time. Yeah. And uh, and the Costacos brothers. Yeah, they the posters. Did, yeah, they did all those sweet sports posters. And it was like every time they'd put one out, They'd never have anybody from Cincinnati on it, you know. It was always like Carl Malone and Michael Jordan and the Fridge, and, you know. And then they did one for Eric Davis, and I was like, "44 Magnum." Play- There's a Reds yep. player with a cool p- poster. Costaco was hot back then. They had yeah, 44 yeah. Magnum, and then and we they did, did the uh, one. We did the SWAT team, and yep. I was working with them, so they did one on the SWAT team, and I started doing some marketing with them. And then actually, I, I had dipped my toe in the hockey world because when the Cyclones came out, we had done this poster called The Boys of Winter. So we took a play off The Boys of Summer, put the guys in tuxes right in front of the net. And, uh, I feel like I remember Yeah, because it was Jay Rose, who's, I think they said he's coaching up in Miami hockey, or was. Craig Chickasola. Chickasola, Remember Chickasola? He was a party animal. That's hilarious. And then there was another guy, but we we marketed them, me and a guy named Ron Frazier. uh, We'd done that poster, went around to different stores and retail places doing point of sale. And, uh, yeah, man, so the, the sports marketing world was fun for me. We, we did a lot of fun stuff. And like we said, we mentioned Shake and Blake, man, but Shake and Blake was by far the most successful campaign I ever created. And we were in retail. We had partnerships. We were at point of sale. We were doing, you know, street vendors. I mean, that, that was like a meteorite or a comet. I mean, yeah. when Shake and Blake came and it was us. Like yeah. on fire. I mean, then when it fizzled, it fizzled. It's yeah. like, we didn't bring that back. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, I have, I, I loved that Eric Davis poster, that yeah. 44 Magnum poster. And like, you just couldn't find it anywhere. Like, it would, if you found one, it'd be all tattered up, you know, because we, because we put them on the wall, you know, yeah. we just yeah. stuck them on the wall. And so somebody sent me a, a link to a documentary on the Costacos brothers. And I found John on Facebook, and I messaged him, and I said, I'm from Cincinnati, and I uh, 
I've loved your posters when I was in high school. Yeah. And I said, I, uh, I'm one of the owners of a t-shirt company that does a lot of throwback and vintage stuff. And I said, I don't know if it's possible, but I would love to recreate that Eric Davis poster, you know, like re-release it somehow. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, well, we have the rights to that photograph, but you would need Eric Davis to sign off on it. And so, through various channels, I got Eric's phone number, and I remember calling him, and just like, you know, I've been lucky with stand-up to meet like legitimate right. A-list celebrities, right, right? And I've not ever been as nervous talking to any of them <laughs> as I was to call Eric Davis as a grown man. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I told him what I wanted to do, and he was like, "Yeah, we can get it done." So we were able to re-release the forty-four Magnum poster. Nice, nice. And uh, and what was funny is when we went to uh, when we went to make the poster after the deal got signed, we said, "Well, send us the file and." You know, we'll get these going. And he was like, we don't have files. <laughs> He's like, this is this is 1993. <laughs> right, you know, right, like, right, right. We don't have a file. <laughs> and so he said, uh, he's like, I can send you a, one of the original posters. Yeah. And you can, you know, have it scanned or whatever. Right. So we did the same deal for Icky's poster. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Isn't that funny how technology from then to now is like the stuff doesn't even exist. Oh, it's yeah. crazy. I remember the zip drive we thought was world changing. Zip drive, yeah. You put like a big file yeah. on a zip drive. Yeah. I mean, now it's it like, like 50 megabytes and you're like, what? Yeah. This is crazy. Remember the three what? gig laptop? You thought that thing was like major. Like Apple came out with the lab, the MacBook, and it was like three gig hard drive. You're like, three whole three gigs? Yeah. Like, Commodore 64. 64 kilobytes. <laughs> kilobytes. That's the not Commodore. Like, yeah. What a name yeah. for a, a computer. A song is like, is, uh, well, you multiply it. It's like, you know, 4.5 megabytes for right. a song. Right. So you could fit like maybe a couple of songs on your Commodore 64, and if, if that, that tells you it existed back then, which it didn't, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be like a Motown man. song, you know, two yeah. minutes and 48 <laughs> seconds. But it was crazy yeah. to get those posters that were like original. Oh, they had the best posters. And so we had them scanned, and then uh, we got we got the original signed by Icky and Eric. So the, the Eric's in my house, and the Icky's at Darren's house. But nice, like to nice. own one of those pieces. I mean, it's so it's so rare, but it's one of those things. And I think a lot of people experience this in our stores. You see it. And then instantly it takes you back to where you were the first time you saw it. Well, that's the beauty of sports and art. And sports is art in a lot of respects to me because there is a lot there. There's a story there. I mean, like you said, it takes you back, but then it takes you back to something or some things. Yeah. Like what you were doing at the that heartache, time, the, how much you rooted for that team or what that team did or what that player did. There's a lot of stories just right there at the ready. You know, and that's the beauty the of it. All. Super Bowl. As soon as you say Super Bowl in Miami, I'm like Stanley Wilson, and then yeah. I remember running the kickoff <laughs> yeah. back, and I remember and Tim Crumrise broken leg. Yeah, who who wanted to play? I mean, this dude is still to me like the toughest Jack Youngblood Junior type dude. I mean, those two dudes, man, like they don't even make them no more. I mean, God took that and like, nah, I'm gonna put that DNA over there. I mean, you just don't. <laughs> Incredible, man. That I mean. Uh, you know, I was at the end zone on the top level, but I was still in the end zone area that the game winner. So I saw John Taylor catching a touchdown, 
And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Of course, I said Sunday. Are you yeah, kidding me? I know, I know. I was going to say, that feeling is not hard to find. <laughs> so you got into the sports side of it and the, on the marketing. And then when did you start working like at the Inquirer? And how did all that evolve into where you are now with the So Inquirer, things? I started in sales back in the 90s, somewhere in there. And then from there, were you doing the sports management, the sports no, marketing no, stuff no. on the side? Or? No, I wasn't doing anything. That was like full time. Uh, but from there, I went from there to the radio okay. business to the Wiz. From the Wiz, I started my company, and then I got into like the uh, broadcast on the talent side again in two thousand. So I've been repping. I don't know if you remember. I used to do celebrity parties. So having the relationship and the business relationship with the players, I started doing like years ago, like I was having celebrity parties that were epic. And I'm not saying it because they were mine, but Jim Nippenberg, remember Jim Nippenberg? Oh, yeah, of course. He used to always talk about these parties, but um, I always <laughs> he was did the them first around. One to write about me. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, oh, man, yeah. what a great. The Outer Limits, The Outer Limits Flight of Fear with Jim Nick, me and him in the front seat were the first ones ever to ride it. Is that on right? Media day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, you know, man, when he passed, that really, I just, yeah. Yeah. that guy was the nicest. He was so, so nice. So nice. Uh, he was all about helping about Cincinnatians. So. Back in that time, I figured out there was always this one weekend. It's not anymore, but there was always this one weekend where the Reds were home and the Bengals would be, like, just getting started. Something There was this little window. And so I said, you know what? If I can do a party and get both of those groups of celebrities there, this could be a pretty big thing. So I talked to Eric. Again, Eric's like, hey, man, whatever you need to do, I'll work it on this end. I was working with E.T., Eric Thomas, and Fulton, those guys. I knew Dave Justice. Uh, and so I said, hey, man, I'm having my birthday party. I'm going to call it a celebrity event. We did it at Scarlet's. Remember Scarlet's down by Cadillac, whatever that Cadillac restaurant Cal- of our bar. Cadillac Ranch. Cadillac Ranch. Cadillac Ranch down there on uh Caddies. 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 Oh, yeah. So that whole block, Caddies was on this end, Scarlet was on this end. <laughs> okay. So I decided to throw the celebrity party. So Eric said, hey, I'll get some of the guys to come over. Man, by the time the night was over, Dave Parker, Dave Justice, Eric Davis, Barry Bonds, Eric Thomas, David Fulcher, and then I was dating a young lady from Columbus and she was like a model, and her friends were models. They came down. I mean, this party, I mean. And was this advertised? Like, could the public come to Well, this, it was uh, back then you were doing the hot cards and passing out. The hot cards weren't as flashy as they are now. I mean, they were Kinko-based, yeah. you know, <laughs> different colors with black ink or whatever. But just the word of mouth yeah. and then being able to say, that you were going to have that type of person there, but people knew you would. Nowadays, guys lie, and they always, if you read the fine print, yeah, they say scheduled to appear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or scheduled to appear, and they'll put people that are playing like in Tokyo. You know, <laughs> like, like, dude, after the game's just going to hop over and come to your party and they go back to Tokyo. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, but the buzz was out there, and when people got there, man, everybody was there. I mean, I look at the picture sometime. 
of those guys back there at the party. And I'm like, man, this is so I start doing them every year. I mean, it became like and then from there. Um, Can you send me any of those pictures yeah. just to put on the blog yeah. to go with this story? I'll send you and, some. Yeah. So then uh, Ross Love started Blue Chip Broadcasting. They took over for uh, Interurban Broadcasting, and he was like, uh, they wanted to do a AM station. And they were talking about doing a sports talk show. So I think Jonathan Love, his son, contacted me and said, hey, man, remember you've been talking about wanting to do a black sports talk show. Uh, I think we're getting ready to get this AM. So have your kind of idea concept ready. They called, and I was like, man, look, here it is. Here's the show. We're not going to be antagonistic. We're not going to be angry. We're not going to be aggressive and all that stuff. For us, sports talk is like flavor. You know, we talk sports in a flavorful kind of way. And um, I said, I already got a um, two-person Thing and they said, well, you need to audition. Who do you have in mind? And I was like, well, Dave Parker, Eric Thomas, somebody else. I knew all along it was going to be Eric Thomas. And the reason why was Eric Thomas and I had been talking sports every Sunday. I mean, when the Bengals would come on or something, Eric and I would talk as if we were doing a sports talk show. So when we got on the air... We really just picked up where we left off because people said, man, you guys just have this great chemistry. Well, it was just because that's what we had always done. And then because of my relationship with Eric and Dion and other people across the country, we were getting like A-list. I remember Andy Furman and even Lance were like, man, I heard your show. You had, how'd you get Stephen A on or We'd have Steve Harvey come on or, uh, you know, just people like that. I mean, Eric would do interviews with people all the time. Well, when Eric did our show, Eric sat, sat in, in. Stu- for two hours. <laughs> yeah. So he did like two hours. He never left. And, and he like co-hosted the show. But it was the relationships we built that would allow us to do those kind of things. I mean, man, we had uh, uh, Don Haskins, you know, that did the, um, what was the movie they did off the UTEP team to beat Kentucky? Um, I can't even think of the name of the movie. It escapes me right now. Road to Glory, I think it was. Yeah. I had him on the radio and a couple of guys from that team, David Latin and one of the other guys that played on that team had them on the radio. I mean, we had Negro League ball players. I mean, to me by far, Negro League ball players, man, you could have set me in there for eight hours. Yeah. And talked to those guys because they are the best storytellers ever. I bet. Outside of country music songwriters, they are the best storytellers ever. I mean, they, I just sitting there like a little kid, man. Like you were talking about calling Eric. I'm sitting here with these Negro League guys like this, man. Like, like tell me another one. Yeah. You know, know, tell me another one. Tell me one more. You know, they, they were incredible, man. Now you're working with the Bengals. uh, Yes. Doing the pregame, postgame. You've done the pep rally, though, for a couple of years, right? Yeah. With Lapham. Yeah, I uh, started when I got out of radio because they changed the format. You know, we all know radio. You walk in one day, you're working. The next day, you're not. And uh, Vince Cicero, actually. A funny story. I mean, Vince, I remember Vince calling me saying, hey, would you be interested in doing some things, you know? I'm like, yeah, man, you know, because at this point, it's a hobby, you know, and I'd like to keep my chops and so, yeah, we started doing the Pep Rally Friday shows on, on different locations. And at that point, I was just enjoying staying connected to radio and sports. 
Then it kind of evolved because Dan Horde uh, and UC's football and basketball schedule got a little unpredictable. So then they were like, hey, man, like we already know that there's going to be X number of dates available. And then at that time, UC with Brian Kelly and those guys were winning, going to bowls. Like, hey, we got three more dates. I'm like, hey, give me all you got. I just like doing this. It's fun. Um, and then they had the Wednesday radio show, the game plan show. So earlier this year, I got a call from Brian Sales, and he said, hey, man, we're looking at doing some some new things, some different things this year, and would you be interested in doing the uh, pregame, halftime, and postgame shows? And I was like, absolutely. You know, I mean, this is the culmination of all the years in the business of sports. I mean, I've invested 20-plus years in this business, and to finally be with a pro team. To prep you, yeah. Yeah, to be with a pro team. And I knew most of the players. A lot of them knew me. Uh, the Brown family, to me, man, I tell people all the time, the Brown family has been very good to me in terms of le- letting me do what I like to do. When other radio entities wouldn't have let me come back on the air, even though I had a name and credibility, they were the ones that were like, hey, man, why don't you come do some stuff for us? And to their credit, when this opportunity opened up, I talked to Katie, I talked to Mr. Brown, and, you know, they were like, hey, man, we're excited to have you on the team. That's cool. So I have to give them a lot of props for having the confidence in me, and, and you know, I'm confident that it'll work out in the long haul. So, so you know, we've talked to Lance and Mo and people like that as local broadcasters in markets of the teams that they grew up rooting sure. for, but... I don't think we've talked to anybody who kind of works for the team that, right. that they're right. a fan of. So, what is it like? What is it like to host that show or to like not let your emotion for the the franchise, you know, show too much? You know, you know? it's it's, so- it's so. I just think about that. Like, you know, we like we don't like to talk too much about current stuff sure, on the show because sure. we want people a year from now to listen to this. But like. That Steelers loss on Sunday, which, you know, you could be listening to this 10 years from now and, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and not know which one we're talking about. Oh, man, but one. I was just thinking, like, if I had to go on as you and talk right uh, after that game, yeah. like, I, w- I don't think I could do it. Like, I would be too emotional. Yeah, the listeners would be like, let's get ready to cry. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's hard because. One of the things that I know that a lot of people don't know is how hard these guys work throughout the week to prepare to go to battle. And to lose a game like that is tough. So to go on the air, I got a job to do. Yeah. You know, my job is to stay centered, to stay focused, uh, but don't think on the inside that there's not this, you know, mixed emotions <laughs> like of of frustration, of anger, of and I really hurt for them more because I'm at the age now where, you know, I've outgrown that angry fan syndrome where you get mad at every little thing. I'm at the stage now where I say, what do you take away from this? And the first thing I took away from that game was our offense has now said to the league, if we have the ball at the end of the game, we can score. That yeah. that statement has been made several it's times this, this year. year. Yeah. Secondly, the Pittsburgh Steelers have usually beat us in the head and not on the field. They actually beat us this game because there were no penalties. 
There was no fighting. There was no ejections. So we mastered finally, because that was a big thing I think we needed to overcome is stick to football. And they did that. So now the next hurdle is you play under composure. You drive down a score on your last possession. Now the next thing is to close the deal. Stop. That's all they have to do. And you look at this defense. Look at what they did against Miami. Look at the plays they made against Indianapolis. Look at the plays they made against uh, Atlanta. I mean, this defense has played well all year. They had that game where they didn't get pressure on Ben, but Dave Lapham made a great point, I thought. He said you had three Pro Bowl offensive linemen going up against two Pro Bowl defensive linemen. And so those guys are Pro Bowlers in their own right for a reason. Right. So I think all told, I was most happy that this team kept their composure because what do we usually say like after a game like that? Oh, you let the Steelers get in your head. You can't let them yeah. pull you into a dog fight Everybody and trash talking. It. Exactly. <laughs> so for me, I saw a team that says, you know what? When we play you guys, we're going to play football and nothing else. I was really happy about that. Yeah. Well, you said penalties didn't get in the way, which I agree with because they didn't call a penalty on that pick in the yeah, very last play. That was play. a pick. I mean, come on. <laughs> and then that call, it's, you know. Then the NFL goes on. They have their uh, – Oh, the guy in New York, you know, later that night, review the, the film and agree with the officials. He's like, oh, well, yeah, the, the defender's pushing him, or yeah. he's initiating the contact, where it's yeah. obvious that he wasn't. Well, then the bailout call against Dre on third and ten, you know, to keep that drive alive. There's so many little things, but it's always the Steelers. Well, you know what it yeah. is? It's always, whether it's mental or physical, it's Always the steal. What do they tell you in boxing when you fight for the title? You have to knock out the champ. You're not going to win a split decision against the champ. So the Bengals lost a split decision Sunday. You're right. You're they totally have to right. knock That's out fair. the champ when they go to you Pittsburgh. Have to go win it. Knock him out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I remember boxing. That's what they used to always say. Oh, man, he beat up the champ, da-da-da-da-da. And some old wise, sage guy says, son, you got to knock out the champ to win the title. And I think this is where we are. And I think that the knockout is coming. I really do. Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah. I mama said knock you out, too. Yeah, you, mama <laughs> said knock you out. How do you deal with uh, – I guess dealing with the drunk callers after the after game. the game. Well, see, we think about that. Them, but yeah. well, here's the beauty. Here's the be beauty. Saying. We don't take calls on the post game show. Oh, you don't? What? No. So, so here's how it works. The Bengals, like most pro teams, <laughs> well, the Reds games they yeah. take callers on that. The Bengals, like it. most pro teams, bring all their media in house. Their advertising, radio, broadcast in house, so they control that. And so what they do is, you know, the post. The pregame show is very time-sensitive. I mean, everything has to hit a mark, uh, and you have a, a drop-dead time that you have to get out for a network. And it's all a lot of it's pre-produced, too. A lot it's pre-produced, a- but a lot of it gets changed. Like, this Sunday, I had a full slate of activity, and then we had three live interviews. So, oh, you know, yeah. that, that gets wadded up and tossed out, so you're on okay. a whole different element. Okay. But on the post side, so our post side goes game ends, commercial or talk to Dan and I, we do a quick recap. Lap goes downstairs. (laughs) Then we'll go to break, come back, hopefully go to him in the locker room. He does that. We come back, we run the highlights. We come back, we hit scores around the league. We come back. Dan has already completed some interviews. And so it's activity 
and I'm kind of waxing poetic about what happened that day. So by the time we get through that, I mean, you really don't have time yeah. for callers. And then, and I say this not because I'm, I'm trying to say this at the expense of callers, but people's emotions are all over the place right after Especially a game. Especially football. Yeah. So yeah. can you imagine what kind of calls you'd get <laughs> yeah. after yes. a Steelers game? The sky is falling, yeah, right? Yeah, They're yeah. four and two. They're in first place. Yeah. But the sky's falling. Right. You know what I mean? The Dave Lapham post-game interviews in the locker room are so funny between wins and losses. <laughs> you know, he's like, hey, come over here. Let me, I get a, uh, you know, hey, Andy, can I talk to you for a minute? And then this is Sunday and they lose the Steelers. And he's like, guys, I'm in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> he's all whispering. Man, you know, it's funny you say that because it, it's funny, but that's a tough job. I man. can't imagine oh, sure. right after that's that game. That's a tough job. And, and the guys know that you're there to talk. They also know you're part of the Bengal Network, and yeah. we broadcast in the 25 markets. Yeah. So this is not just a local show. This is yeah. going out to a, a footprint in the region. And so you see some of the guys talk. Obviously, they're not uh, jubilant or anything like that, but they understand Lap is just there to do his job. But that's a And hard everybody job, loves man. Lap. Oh, I mean, how do you not love Lap, man? I mean, I, I, what we just miss hearing coffin nails. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. You know, like when he yeah. does the little hit. And Dan, I, I love that because they, it was on ESPN. Yeah. They used uh, Dan's thing on ESPN. And, uh, nails it's just, mean coffin. Yeah. And then Lapham hits the bam, bam, bam yeah. thing. So that's kind of cool, man. That but it's, cool. it's just fun. I wish my dad was around. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, man, I get really solemn and somber about that. Yeah, my dad was um, at the end of his life. Well, his most of his life, adult life, was arthritis permanently disabled. But he was a diehard Bengals fan, man. And yeah. so, for me, typically every Sunday that I drive down to the stadium or I go up to the station, it's like, yeah, man, what I'm I the same way. Him. I'm the exact yeah. same way. Like with the stuff I get to do with the yeah. Reds, I'm yeah. just like, yeah. If he could see me yes. uh, in, in the clubhouse or, yes. or you know, just yes. talking to Marty and, yes. you know, the same thing. I totally, it would be yeah. awesome, man. Totally, that, that's yeah. the only thing about this that, man, just yeah. I, I, I know he knows. I know he's, he's right. vibing with me, but, man, just to be able to get off the air and call him. Because that would be the first thing I'd do. Sure. As soon as I get off the air, I'd be calling him like, hey, you know. Let's talk about the game or something like that. But anyway, so. So one quick thing before we wrap up, you use okay. the words wax poetic. You are yeah. uh, quite the poet. <laughs> and you've got you've got published books and stuff. So yeah. tell me yeah. about your, your stuff you've got going on as an author and stuff you've done. Well, I've done two books. Uh, first book was called uh, From the Soul of a Man. Uh, second book was called The Power of Love. And both of those were like poetry from... It's like, I write about love and romance, you know, like I, I kind of like grew up listening to like R&B love songs as much as I listened to Parliament Funkadelic and everybody else. But writing just came easy to me and it came so easy that I thought everybody could do it. And then I found out everybody can't do it. But I w I've been writing so long, even starting in high school, that when I got through college and got later in life, uh, one of my friends, Bo Watson, that Sings with Midnight Star. He's written for Tony Brax and all these people. He's like, hey, man, this is some really good stuff. And I was like, being apologetic, because I'm thinking, like, it really sucks. You're just being nice. And he was like, no, man, this is really good. And that kind of propelled me. And I'm like, you know what, man? I should do a book. 
And then I thought, I'm going to do three books. I'm going to do two books for me and then one book on the spiritual, maybe uplifting side. So the, the two poetry books are done. I just finished up uh, the third book, You Wake Up, You Win. And it's about gratitude. You know, I think in this world we live in now, man, everybody is so polarizing. You know, you hate my point of view. I hate your point of view. You like this person. I hate that person. You know, this side of town is great. This side is terrible. It's okay to disagree. I mean, it's just simply okay that we don't like the same thing. But, man, this world is so just, man, just tattered and torn that I wanted to create something that would allow people to hit the reset button. And say, you know what, man, we ought to all be glad every day we wake up, we get one more trip around the sun. And it could be a bad day, granted, I get that. But, man, there's a lot of people that really just want a day, good, bad, or indifferent. And as I always say, even to get mad, you got to wake up first. So that's a great, great you can't even get mad unless you wake up. So can you at least acknowledge waking up has some value? But anyway, so the book should be done in November. It's already it's written. The cover's done. We're just basically lining up the printing and all that stuff. Uh, We got social enterprise that we're putting behind it, merchandise, you know, stuff like that. But I I really want to make this my last cause, man. It's like I really want people to just have this gratitude element to their life going forward like no matter what happens man we all get dealt some tough cards man we're in the game man i mean we're just we're just one good card away from a totally different hand to play but if you play the one you got man i mean just just appreciate it that's great can people still get your first two books they're out of print i'm probably going to bring them back thanks to e-commerce now i can (laughs) i get distribution these bookstores man they kill you on the percentages i mean it's like they're they're like red and big apple records on five heartbeats man it's like (laughs) (laughs) when when uh when your new book comes out where will people be able to get it joseph beth has been a great part and i gotta be honest with you man my first two books i went to them and they love supporting local artists. I mean, my first book, I'm, I'm a nobody. I mean, I'm just coming in here with this book and the lady said, Hey, I can tell you put some work into it. The cover is full, four color quality. They let me do a book signing, carry my books. Then that sold well. When I did the next book and I went back, uh, they said, well, let's do another book signing. And then because the book sales were so good, they said, do you mind doing a guest lecture series? So then I came back. I mean, they got like my books. I'm tripping, right? Because I'm walking in and my books are up here, you know, on display. I'm like, wow. So I do this guest lecture thing. And then I did a big kickoff party at the Western Hotel. With with celebrities. Oh, no, no. This was just, this was like other poets. You know, I should have done that. But local poets read from the book. And we had like food and wine and set this mood. And it was really cool, man. So this book is, the kickoff is going to be a little bit different because the, the plan is to have people tell stories of overcoming really tough life circumstances and putting gratitude in perspective for them. Right. So you think you've had a bad life, a bad day. I got some friends that are willing to share their stories, man, that you're looking like, hey, I don't have any problems after listening to this. I truly am grateful that, you know, much needed perspective. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, cool. So as we wrap up, the uh, the guest always gives us a word. Okay. And that word is uh, something that people will use as a coupon code that will be good from right now until our next episode comes out. It will save them 20% online and in-store. So if you had wow. to give us a word, 
What would that word be? Gratitude. Love it. Gratitude. There you go. All right. Gratitude. So type in the word gratitude as a coupon. Uh, until this next episode comes out, it'll save you 20%. Or stop into one of our stores and, uh, and, and mention the word gratitude, and you will save 20% on your order in the store. And uh, you're all over social media. People can find you and and, and uh, know when the book's about to come out. Yeah, I tell people that, you know, Wayne Boxmiller is an uncommon name, but it's a easy name. You just search Wayne Boxmiller. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You know, I'm on the radio. Yeah. You know, I'm on with you. Yeah. I mean, That's you know. Right. So follow him, look him up, and uh, and of course get a copy of uh, of his new book when it comes out, and hopefully uh, his his uh, uh, first two books if they uh, yeah. pop back up on Amazon or somewhere like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, man. So thank you for being here, man. This yeah, is awesome, man. I, I you know first of all let me thank you guys because you and I had talked about doing this a while ago, and and I admire your work. I've always admired it. I think people don't know how much you do in the community so i you know props to you for that but i also want to thank you guys because you're like smooth as hell about how you start these interviews <laughs> <laughs> we're like trick you into it. well no yeah. no i mean and i i do this for a living but i can understand how people would be a little nervous and i think that your format is just awesome approach you know because we really do try to get people to just have a conversation yeah it's not an interview we're yeah. just talking yeah. yeah and i mean I, I enjoyed it i really did that was it took me like duh we're like <laughs> 90 minutes in i'm like hey have we started the interview yet <laughs> hey thanks for being here <laughs> yeah Just well thanks hanging out thanks box i'll see yeah, you soon yeah, man. absolutely <laughs> Wayne Boxmiller. Yeah, we are sneaky that way. Just uh, We just like to have a conversation. You can check Wayne out before and after the Cincinnati Bengals radio broadcast on any number of stations in town. And I reckon online, I know the Browns broadcast their pre- and post-game shows over their website. And they used to do it on their app, so I would imagine the Bengals probably do something similar. And as always, we invite you to plunder the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Lots of great episodes there. John Keyswetter talking about WKRP in-depth. Dean Gregory from Montgomery Inn has some great stories about Bob Hope and the rib business in general. Amy Asbeck was amazing. Also check out Frank Marzullo, Randy Weaker, your old pal Dukes and Natra from the Gary Burbank Show, Finn Rock, Mo Egger, Cash Wright, Mike Mathis, and Johnny Bench, of course, and also uh, Haunted Cincinnati 1 and 2, and of course Abandoned Cincinnati. Those have been very popular. Be sure to tell your friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still uh, may you know feel connected to the area. Uh, maybe they went to school here, vice versa, who knows. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find all their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, uh, Seattle, Portland, Louisville, uh, all at OldSchoolShirts.com. We have all kinds of defunct sports teams, old shopping centers, restaurants, and so on. You may remember from those towns if you've ever been or are from. And in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is GRATITUDE. Lowercase, uppercase, doesn't matter. Either one works. You can use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com order or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Or you can use that code in our physical brick-and-mortar stores and over the Rhine, Hyde Park, and now Loveland, of course. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for all the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a review wherever you get your podcasts from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.
Goodbye. I wish I said goodbye.